Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. Hello and welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast. My name is Dr. Carolina Kubratetso, and I'm a lecturer in psychology at the University of Glasgow. We have now reached the end of the academic year here in Glasgow, and as we look back on a challenging year due to the pandemic and the delivery of teaching online, it is an opportunity to reflect on our teaching. In the past month, I have spent some time focusing on inclusive teaching approaches in my own practice. And for today's podcast episode, I have invited two students studying at the University of Glasgow who are heavily involved in inclusivity in education. I'd like to welcome Ellie Lloyd and Anna Gallagher, who are students at the University of Glasgow, but who are also co-lead um, student-led charity, the Luna Project, that aims to increase the awareness and support of young people with chronic illnesses, disabilities, and long-term health conditions. I'm honored that they are here today to share their knowledge and experience of inclusivity in education and to tell us a bit more about their project. So welcome, Ali and Anna. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us what you're studying and what year you're in? I'm Ali. Um, the pronouns are user she, her, and I'm a second year psychology and philosophy student. Um, and just in the context of this discussion, it feels important to mention that I identify as disabled, and so I'm a disabled student. And I'm Anna. My pronouns are also she, her, and I'm currently a third year medical student, and I do not identify as disabled. Okay, thank you so much for joining this podcast episode. We hear many people using the word inclusivity or diversity in many different contexts these days. I'd like to to take a step back to really understand what this really, really means. So my question is, what are usually the first associations that people have when they hear diversity? And what does diversity actually mean? So I think that people can often see diversity as sort of a buzzword, like almost a form of tokenism, really just trying to make sure that there's one person in the room who's different from everybody else. But in reality, diversity is about not just acknowledging, but celebrating the differences between people and using this to get multiple perspectives on whatever it is that you're working on. I completely agree with Anna um, that it's often seen as a buzzword or a tick box and kind of like just a bit of an add on um, when actually diversity shouldn't be an add on. It should be considered at the very beginning of everything that's done, whether that's some research being carried out or plans or an event or a campaign. Um, because if you don't have diversity of experience in the room and as part of the conversation you're having, then straight away you're limiting the success of whatever you're doing and the impact of your project because it will likely be failing to engage people who have experiences not even considered by those of you in the room. Um, so I think we need to kind of have a shift away from thinking of diversity as kind of a bonus add-on and something to be um, to praise people if they do have diversity in their project and move to that being kind of the standard where we criticize and call out projects that don't have diversity in them. So I like that idea that what is needed seems to be this general shift in our thinking, right? Going away from considerations of disabilities being as an add-on, but rather to structure, for example, teaching so that it benefits all. I assume that there are specific, but also more general, so gen general challenges 
that students with disabilities face on a daily basis when trying to engage in teaching. So can you maybe give some examples of challenges here? I think this is actually a really interesting question because I think if you'd asked this a year ago, the answers would be completely different to they are now. Um, before teaching went online for um, the pandemic, coronavirus, um, I would have said that the biggest challenge for me was um, that none of my lectures other than my psychology lectures were recorded and I missed a lot of lectures in first and second year due to um, frequently being in hospital or being unwell um, the powerpoints would often like just be pictures which meant that um, I would try and catch up but there was no real way to so if I'd missed something I'd just missed it um, but now all lectures are recorded because they have to be and um, touch wood this is my first year um, I've been at uni for three years um, that I haven't ended up really well unwell in hospital um, as I think it's so much easier to pace myself and I have like the resources I need um, and I don't have to push myself to be going along to lectures when I don't actually have the energy to um, because of fear of if I've missed it then I've missed it um, that's not to say that learning just now is without accessibility challenges I think even just looking at things like um, transcripts which are often wildly inaccurate um, you can see that um, and so whilst I do feel really excited to go back to in-person teaching as I think everyone is um, I'm also quite nervous about things just going back to the way they are after a year of things being so much more accessible. Yeah, I agree with Ali. I think there's been a lot of changes implemented during the pandemic to allow for remote learning for everyone. And a lot of this was something that had been seen as a challenge to implement for disabled students beforehand. And now it's been available for everyone when disabled students have been asking for things like this for years. And I am hopeful that some of the accessibility benefits that we've seen over remote learning will be kept when life goes back to normal, as it were. I do think that oftentimes people have a sort of set notion of what they think a disabled person should look like in their head. But of course, there's no one size fits all. And a lot of disabled people don't fit into this preconceived notion that a lot of people have. So as a result, I think that a lot of disabled people and particularly young disabled people feel like they have to prove that they're actually disabled and that they should get the support that they need and that they're entitled to. And I think that having to fight for that recognition and that support takes a lot of a student's time and energy away from actually engaging in and benefiting from their learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see this being a real struggle for students with disabilities. And as you said, not all disabilities are visible, but that does not mean that they are not there. So finding ways for teachers to provide instruction that works for all seems to be key. So what can teachers or lecturers do to practice inclusivity in their teaching? I know it's a very big question, but how can inclusivity be best embedded and what may be problems that teachers may encounter along the way and how can these be overcome? So I would say, first of all, assume that there's gonna be at least one disabled student in your class. So around a fifth of the Scottish population identify as disabled, so it's very, very likely that at least one person in your class will be as well. I think teachers should make it crystal clear that students can approach them to ask for support if they need it and that the teacher will advocate to ensure that the student gets that support. Aside from that, there are sort of simple, basic things which can be done as well. So, for example, ensuring accuracy of lecture transcripts and closed captions on your recorded lectures or including image descriptions where that's necessary, or choosing appropriate colour schemes on slides that would work for someone who's colourblind. Sort of basic things like that go a long way. I completely agree with Anna, everything she said, but especially that first point that 
um, you should assume that you are teaching disabled students. Um, I think quite often disabled people are seen as an other, even by the best intentioned people who will maybe say, oh, of course I support the rights of disabled people or whatever, but have no conception that they will also know disabled people. Um, and I think particularly in a university setting, there's a failure to see that your students may be disabled because of an idea that disabled people would not be capable of learning about whatever subject it is that you're teaching or managing university life, um, etc. And so I think one way that I see this a lot is when disabilities or chronic illnesses are mentioned in lectures. Um, and Anna, you do medicine, so I imagine that's every lecture for you, but it does also come up quite a lot in psychology and I imagine most subjects. Um, so for example, in one lecture, a lecturer referenced in just kind of making conversation, talked about the, um, would you be, or would you rather be deaf or blind game and talked about how either one was a tragedy kind of thing. Um, and of course, this is super ableist, um, uh, unintentionally, I imagine, but I think it just came from a place of assuming that no one that was listening would be either deaf, blind, hard of hearing, visually impaired, um, when actually it's very likely that someone would have been. Um, and similarly, engaging with conversations around disability and language more generally is really important. And it makes all the difference to hear disability being discussed in a comfortable way, um, which reflects the way that disabled people actually want to be talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I think language is a really important issue when it comes to sort of normalising disability and sort of getting people to understand that it's a lot more common than they probably think. From like a practical standpoint as well, I think it's also really important to make sure that there are solid systems in place for disabled students if something does end up interrupting their learning. So disabled students are obviously a lot more likely to miss longer periods of education due to things such as ill health, hospital admissions, etc. And we need to make sure it's as easy as possible for them to catch up to make sure that they don't fall far behind. Like you were saying earlier, Ali, with not all of your lectures being recorded in first and second year, I can imagine that would have had a pretty disproportionate impact on you through no fault of your own. Also, I think particularly in times of COVID-19, it's really, really important to make sure that we're keeping our disabled students safe as well. So, for example, I'm currently on placement in hospital and that obviously comes with its risks of COVID infection, even to a non-disabled student like me. So any disabled students that are on the wards right now are going to have to be extra careful not to expose themselves and put their health at risk because they're particularly vulnerable. So anyone who's immunocompromised or vulnerable in any other way absolutely has the right to be kept safe whilst also keeping their learning on track. And I think it's vital that we have the necessary systems in place to do this. I completely agree what you were saying there, Anna, about having systems in place. Um, often it feels like when someone starts to fall behind due to health-related problems or inaccessibility, it feels almost then is the first time that anyone's thinking about how can we support this student, whereas actually if you have that before, um, then you maybe wouldn't get so down a hole of being so behind and things feeling so impossibly hard. And I think with that and with Every, all of this I think it's really important to recognize that no one's perfect and it takes time and unlearning in order in order to be able to do all of these things and that's completely okay I think to have a culture in which inclusivity is truly embedded also means having a culture in which teachers are happy to learn and a culture in which students feel able to mention to each to a teacher that perhaps the way they talked about this one thing missed the mark a little bit or that they were that they used to describe another thing was maybe a little outdated and so try using this instead um, and for that just not to be a big deal that just to be something that feels really comfortable because you feel like your teachers 
do want to learn and they do want to be inclusive of you. That's actually really eye-opening, I have to say. Um, I can see that sometimes the best-intentioned examples used in instruction can make some in the room uncomfortable. I think as you, you both of you pointed out, as a lecturer or teacher, keeping an open mind, learning from mistakes, admitting what went wrong on if something that when something goes wrong and making tweaks for the future enhances awareness but also it really demonstrates willingness to engage with this topic which i i think will improve teaching practice in the long run i always like to think of the teacher and student interactions as two equal partners on the learning journey and so while we can focus on what teachers can do to be inclusive in the teaching I feel that students have agency, and I wonder what students can do to increase awareness of inclusivity. What are your thoughts on this? So as a non-disabled person, I try my hardest to advocate for inclusivity and accessibility wherever I can in order to add my voice to that of the disabled community, because it's so important that everyone's looking out for these issues and not just disabled people alone. The more of us fighting for change, the more likely it is that we will actually see that change implemented. And it shouldn't be just the responsibility of disabled people to make sure people are thinking about them in the room. I try to raise awareness where I can by pointing out, for example, if I notice that a lecture transcript in my pre-recorded lecture isn't accurate, or changing the colour scheme in a PowerPoint slides to a more colourblind friendly version in case anybody's colourblind, or emailing to ask a lecturer to remove a flashing image that they put into their slides. This is all sort of after the fact stuff though and I don't think that's what we want for the long term. I really passionately believe that accessibility should be the standard and we really need these sorts of things to be done before we have to ask for it to be done. Students can work to achieve this sort of thing by providing feedback to staff or to their class reps, college reps, SRC, all these kind of places in order to make their voices heard and advocate for change. I think that everything Anna has said is spot on um, and I really can't overstate just how important it is that non-disabled people like Anna do flag up accessibility issues and do push for these things to be changed. Um, as a disabled person, as a disabled student, um, it very quickly becomes exhausting to constantly be having to ask for things to be more accessible and there's a much bigger emotional impact to the answer being no as it can feel like you're being told that you're learning is not worth making these adjustments for or like you're being a pest or a burden which can be really hard to hear um, and can really take its toll. I think between being a disabled person and having disabled friends with a range of accessibility needs and considering accessibility in everything we do in Luna, my brain is now pretty hardwired to constantly be spotting accessibility issues, um, but I don't always feel able to raise them. Um, and so I think a culture in which it is clear that accessibility and inclusion is a priority would make this two-way relationship so, so much easier. I already mentioned it in the beginning, but can you tell us a bit more about this fantastic project? What does LUNA stand for? And can you tell us a bit more about the project and what you do? Of course. So LUNA stands for Learning to Understand Needs and Abilities, um, which I think, Anna, I think it was actually you that came up with that after a long time of us trying to find a name. Um, and the LUNA project was set up by myself and two friends almost two years ago now. Um, and out of the three of us, two of us have chronic illnesses. And as a three, we'd had a really intense couple of years and we didn't really see our experiences being talked about anywhere else, but we were sure that we weren't the only ones having them. Um, so we set up Luna with the aim to raise awareness of young people with long-term health conditions. 
and disabilities and the importance of friendship and good supportive friends in living with long-term health conditions. Um, we were super excited that soon we expanded our team to include other people who were also passionate about this, which was in itself very exciting. Um, and our team and community are now growing daily, weekly, um, which is the best thing to see. Um, and so as Luna, um, we run a number of different projects and create lots of different resources. Um, one of the resources we've got on the go, which is one of my favourite ones, um, is about helping young people to understand the science behind their chronic illness, which is one that, um, Carolina, you were, help, you were kind enough to help us kickstart um, by giving a talk on science communication. Um, and another of my favourites, which is a little bit more well-established, focuses on the social side of disability. So it's called the From Me and My Friends to You and Yours series. Um, and this involves working with young people with a range of chronic illnesses to create resources on how their chronic illness impacts them physically, mentally and their life generally and how their friends can best support them. As well as these resources, we also have a blog which runs different themes every month and platforms the experiences of young disabled people. Um, and in one of the biggest projects we've got just now um, is actually the Ambassadors Project, which I'll pass over to Anna for because she's doing amazing stuff with that but essentially our work is um constantly moving forward in what we're doing and we're just trying to work out how to best empower young disabled people and their friends so i'll take over and chat a wee bit about ambassadors just now uh, as ali was saying i work mostly with the ambassadors and education side of the charity which is mostly focused on primary and secondary school pupils so normally we run workshops in schools about disability and chronic illness and various different aspects of that but since COVID's currently stopped us from going into schools right now, we've developed a number of brilliant online resources for students from ages eight all the way up to 18, which you can find on our website at www.thelunaproject.org.uk under the online learning tab. So the ambassador scheme itself is a brand new initiative that we're working on aimed at the S5 and S6 age range, so about 16 to 18 years old. And what we're doing with that is aiming to train students to recognise and speak up about issues affecting disabled and chronically ill young people within their educational environment. So the scheme focuses on three main areas in three different contexts. So we focus on ableism, accessibility and advocacy, and we get them to look at it from a personal level, from a sort of school community level and from a wider world level. And through these training schemes and resources that we're creating, we're really hoping that we'll be able to create a more disability positive atmosphere in these schools. Wow. Okay. I love that you have initiated the Luna project and I can see it making a meaningful impact for students with disabilities, but it will also raise awareness for educators. Um, we will definitely add a link to your website so that our listeners can take a look. And I'm sure that schools in particular may be interested in one of your workshops for their pupils. So these sounds, these sound absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. So my final question now is, if you had one tip for teachers and one tip for students for a successful implementation of inclusive teaching and learning, what would it be? So I'd say for teachers, I would say make it clear to your students from the get go that they can approach you with any requests for support and also make sure that you're doing basic things like using closed crap captions and transcripts, image descriptions, stuff like that. And for students, I'd say call out in accessibility whenever you see it, especially if, like me, you're not actually disabled yourself, because the more people we have talking about this, the more chance we've got of changing things for the better. I echo everything Anna said. Um particularly about creating a culture where you can 
make it clear that you recognize that you teach disabled students and that you recognize that accessibility and inclusion is such a wonderfully broad thing that you won't get it right for every disabled student every time, but that you want to get it right for them every time and are open to having conversations about this um, and implementing change in order to get there. And I think the same goes for dis um, for students, disabled and non-disabled, of being constantly open to learning and listening to your disabled peers. Um, saying that, especially in relation to lecturers and teachers, like I completely recognise that the pressure on teaching staff to be doing more than there is hours in a day um, is kind of overwhelming. Um, and so part of creating this culture, maybe um, advocating for the needs of your disabled student and raising this at meetings with um, whoever in the university um, it feels relevant to um, so that you can be making sure that people know that it's a priority, that you are given the resources in order to be able to support these disabled students. Um, and so, yeah, doing what you can and also advocating where you can't kind of thing. These are very good tips, very concrete and very balanced um, as well. So um, I like that you also integrated the view of, you know, the teacher and then the students on the other side and as a whole to have this approach. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. Again, I'd like to thank you, Anna and Ellie, again, for joining our podcast episode today and for sharing your thoughts, ideas, and, and the amazing tips. I'm sure that teachers and students appreciate your input. And I certainly, myself, have learned some new things today as well. So thank you for that. I hope that you have a bit of a break before diving into exam preparation. Um, and I wish you good luck on your exams because I know they, they are coming up. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for even wanting to have this conversation about <laughs> inclusive education. Honestly, it, it's so wonderful. And then thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was amazing to come along and speak with you today. All right. And to all of our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay safe. And until next time, goodbye. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists.